see, this is my life. It always will be. There's nothing else. Just us. And the cameras. And those wonderful people out there in the dark. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Hello and welcome to another episode of Ready for Close-Up. My name is Andy and as always I'm joined today by Sam. Hi Sam. Hi Andy. And today we want to give our hot takes, reviews and unsolicited opinions on the Knights of the Knights, the Academy Awards Ceremony 2021. And the Oscar goes to... Nomadland. And as it was a more reduced, more intimate and less glamorous event, we still want to dissect this year's winners, surprises and snobs in a truly uncommon year for film. So Sam, let's just walk through the main winners first and then later on we will dissect some of the nominated films in more detail. So who did you think would pick up the statue for Best Supporting Actress? My heart always goes out to Glenn Close whenever she's nominated, but I think this year she had a great performance in arguably not such a great film. She was never really in the long run to win it. I think it boils down to two actresses, Amanda Seyfried for Mank or Yoo Jung Yoon in Minari. And I think I would have guessed or picked um, Yoo Jung Yoon for Minari. It was the same, just because of the buzz around Minari, even though I haven't seen the film, I thought that Yoo Jung Yoon would win and, and she did. What about supporting actor category? I think there the field was a bit clearer in the sense I think Daniel Kaluuya was the front runner in this category even though I think there were a lot of good performances in there even though I haven't seen all the movies which I think is a disclaimer I have to give for many movies that we will talk today but what you heard and what you read I think Daniel Kaluuya was um was a shoe in I was pretty sure it would be one of the supporting actors from A Judas and the Black Messiah because actually um, Lakeith Stanfield was also nominated for the same movie but I had the impression that because of the iconic role of Fred Hampton in that movie it would probably more likely go to the historically famous character from that movie so I was pretty sure as well that he was hyped more and uh, therefore would also more likely win. What did you think uh, on the Best Actor win? That was a surprise I think to everyone watching the show I was almost 100% sure that the Oscar would go to the late Chadwick Boseman for his uh, fantastic portrayal in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom which we will talk about later on I think the win for Anthony Hopkins for the father certainly surprised me but I could see based on the reviews that he had got and that it seemed to be really a standout role for him within his career and you know since Silence of the in 1991 it's been a while so I think it is a well-deserved old age role for an actor that has been lauded and praised so many times so maybe it was high time for him to to win that Oscar were you disappointed were you um, in agreement with that pick I was not I wouldn't say I was disappointed I was also more surprised because I think the buzz really went towards Chadwick Boseman and I think 
the positioning of announcing best actor last, I think was an interesting choice. And I, I, I think many people were expecting to have a, an emotional closing of the show in that sense to give this Oscar posthumously to Chadwick Boseman. But few people have actually seen The Father and it's supposedly a very good movie. So I'm sure Anthony Hopkins gives a great performance in this one. So it's a nice surprise. And I guess we, we have to wait and see and judge for ourselves once the movie comes out. What about the best actress then? Because I think there was also a surprise in store there, and especially in a year where equality and representation of minorities was a big issue. I think everyone was hoping for a big win for the nominated actresses of color. What did you think of Frances McDormand's win? Third win, in fact. She's surely an amazing actress. Personally, I would have preferred some other actresses to win. I think I would have rooted for Viola Davis in Marine is Black Bottom, which really gives a super strong performance in this one. And she's always great and she's always delivering. And I think in Marini, she's also giving a really fleshed out performance. I was also really a big fan of Carrie Mulligan in Promising Young Woman. Low key, I was hoping for her to win because I think she's also a favorite actress of mine, but she, I think the buzz was not really in her favor. Andra Day in the United States versus Billy Holiday. She's a newcomer. She was a singer before, so it's one of her first movie roles. The Academy is, is rarely giving out Best Actress performances to newcomers. It's also a veteran win, I think, for Frances McDormand. Surely deserved, but it left me a bit unimpressed, let's say that. I don't find so much variety in Frances McDormand's role. I think um, she's always kind of strange and, and angry and energetic and certainly moving, but I wouldn't put her on the same level as, let's say, uh, Catherine Hepburn or uh, Meryl Streep, actresses who certainly deserve having multiple Oscars for very different roles. I would have guessed um, Andrew Day would make it just because she won the, the Golden Globe, surprisingly. I thought she was kind of the, the secret weapon, maybe, of this year's Oscars as well. And otherwise, definitely Viola Davis. She's always strong. And I thought in Moreni's Black Bottom, even though I thought it was rather a supporting role compared, for instance, to mm -hmm. Chadwick Boseman's, she would have deserved the Oscar definitely as well. So let's move on then maybe to Best Director. For the first time in the history, actually, two female directors nominated. One eventually won. What were your thoughts on that? I was pretty sure that Chloe Zhao would win just because she was so much talked about and I felt that together with a best picture win that would probably be the most likely outcome. I thought maybe they would give it to David Fincher for Mank just because the movie was nominated 10 times so I thought maybe a best screenplay best director would be in store and Fincher has been such a household name in Hollywood for so many years but I thought it would be an Oscar typical win for a veteran like like Fincher. Chloe Zhao's win was also pretty sure she won the Golden Globe. She won The Lion in Venice last fall as well for Nomadland. So I think this was, was a favorite win and it's great to see a female director winning the Best Director's Award. And I'm also particularly happy for Emerald Fennell, the other director nominated, that she won actually the Best Original Screenplay Award. If a director also writes a screenplay, I think there is always a good connection there. To acknowledge great work and I think they did that by um, honoring Emerald Fennell for her screenplay so I think it's really nice to see two women winning very important Oscars. Chloe Zhao is only the second woman 
to ever win an Oscar as Best Director. I mean, that that is amazingly rare in 93 years of Oscar history. So I'm, I was, you know, super happy for her, obviously, because, but I can't talk really about the film, but it was, it was the expected win. I did think that maybe they would give it to, again, Mank or Minari, possibly even for reasons surrounding Black Lives Matter and the whole racial equality discussion in the US, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. But again, I couldn't judge it really by the films, but just by the discussions and speculations. Was it, was it the same for you? Did you have any other expectations? No, not really. To be honest, I was also not as invested this year in the Oscars and the whole award season as I was in previous years. Also, as you mentioned, because it's a bit, it was a bit difficult to see movies. Luckily, there were a lot of these nominated films available for streaming, but I think it just didn't have the same buzz, the same award season experience that you go, I think, after Christmas it starts, where you really have to, uh, the Oscar contenders coming into cinema and you watch all these movies and you have your favorites. I think this anticipation was really not there this year for me so I think I, I saw a few of the movies we'll also talk about it later but I wasn't too invested in it to be really surprised by it so I think it was all expected in a way apart from the Hopkins win I would say the distribution of the nomination and the actual wins was very very even which also shows that either there were a lot of good quality movies around this year or there wasn't a real front runner who would sweep the whole competition away and would really go home with, I don't know, six, seven, eight plus statues. So in that sense, I think Nomadland was the great winner of the evening with three wins and there were six other movies which have two wins um, each. So I think it, it really shows it was a good quality year for movies, but there wasn't really the one movie everyone was talking about, I would say. Quite small scale as well yes i felt the selection that they made and i guess also representative of more personal movies in, in a year that was marked by a pandemic by not being able to go and see those movies on the big screen anyway so from what i've heard also the selection of the academy seems to seems to mirror that that they would pick different movies that they may be more personally liked instead of the ones that were most hyped and most promoted um in the usual let's say industry ways but it was it was also a very different show so i wanted also to get your impressions on the parts of the show that you saw they had the whole thing uh, staged in a railway station at the union station in los angeles and i think they had also a little setup in london and i think in paris because many european nominees they couldn't travel to the us but they didn't do this zoom only uh, ceremony like they did in for the golden globes so people were actually on site and it was a much more club setting it was much more intimate it was not very showy the musical acts were pre-show so it was it was not this grand self applauding feast that it usually is and i think many were quite unhappy about the fact there was so little music they had that i think oscar song quiz which uh, made um, glenn close an insta star with her the bot performance which everyone should see <laughs> she's the best meme of the show exactly she's a meme now and um, apart from that, I think the most talked about point was just the order of the awards being given out at the end. So that Best Picture would be given out before Best Actress and Actor. And poor Anthony Hopkins didn't have a chance to connect by Zoom. So he was actually fast asleep when they were handing out his award. And strangely enough, Joaquin Phoenix took it in the name of the Academy and the show was over. And I think that was the thing that was 
strangest and I think also most complained about online from what I saw, from what I heard. Academy Award for Actor goes to Anthony Hopkins, The Father. The Academy congratulates Anthony Hopkins and accepts the Oscar on his behalf. Was a bit weird, I would say. But I think it's. Um, I, I think it was a very long award season. I think they they postponed it a few times for understandable reasons. So I think it's it's good that we we had it <laughs> somehow over over with it. We can look forward to a new movie season. But before we do that, I think we should dive deep into uh, a few movies that were they were actually the most nominated movies of the years of course we discuss movies we've actually seen so maybe sam you want to give us a little recap on ma rainey's black bottom we'll be ready to go in 15 minutes we'll be ready to go and madam says we're ready to go and that's the way it go around here Records are gonna be hits. Please come home to me. Every colored man in the world got to do his part. I'm gonna tell the white man just what he can do. They don't care nothing about me. All they want is my voice. About them songs I give you. They're not the right songs. That'll take them off your hands for you. I got my time coming to me. You don't know nothing about what kind of blood I got, what kind of heart I got beat here. Right, the movie that was nominated for five awards, Best Actor, um, Chadwick Boseman, Best Actress, Viola Davis, and also for Costume Design, Production Design, Makeup and Hairstyling, and ended up winning two awards for Costumes and Makeup and Hairstyling. It's basically the film version of a play that surrounds the recording of a jazz song um, in the late 1920s, the song called Mulraney's Black Bottom, Mulraney being one of the great and iconic jazz singers of that era. She travels with her band to the recording studio and the whole movie surrounds this difficulty of getting that track recorded. And there's all kinds of, of obstacles and what sounds rather comedic at first then turns into quite a dramatic sequence of events. Chadwick Boseman is an ambitious trumpet player in her band who wants to do his own thing and make his own arrangements. And um, Viola Davis as uh, Mulraney is kind of fighting him and fighting everybody in the movie. So she's very antagonistic towards the recording producers, uh, her band, she wants to do it her way or she will leave. And that's kind of the tension that exists all movie long. It's also very hot around the time of the recording and they just have a hard time getting this thing done and things turn more and more dark and, and, and dour in the course of that. It's certainly noticeable that it was a stage play that was adapted into a film. It feels very Netflixy, a little bit like Boys in the Band. You can really tell that it's all a studio, that the lighting is quite artificial. But I guess that that also lends itself really well to a, a play like that. It It's supposed to look like that. It's supposed to be limited and also kind of claustrophobic in a way in certain scenes and really focus on the actors and actresses. And I guess that's its strength 
And I can totally see why everyone believed that Davis and Bozeman would win for their acting because it really showcases everybody's acting skills. And he is just a power to behold. I've never seen him in anything else. Haven't seen Black Panther. What? Um, <laughs> no. And I saw him first thing in that and I was blown away. I could totally see the whole boss. I could see the, you know, the tragedy surroundings early passing. I mean, he's a powerhouse. And so is she. She is fabulous in it. And I think just for that, one should see it. I wasn't a big fan of the whole movie. It's pretty small scale, but definitely an, an interesting watch just to see actors at their, you know, the top of their games. And you saw another nominated movie and talked about movie, which is Promising Young Woman. Tell us a little bit about that. Every week, I go to a club. I act like I'm too drunk to stand. And every week, a nice guy comes over to see if I'm okay. You okay? You are so pretty. I am a nice guy. Are you? One, two, three, four. I thought we had a connection. Okay. How old am I? What are my hobbies? What's my name? Sorry, maybe that one's too hard. Cassandra, <laughs> we're in class together at Forest. You would have been a great doctor. What happened? I left under unusual circumstances. You remember what happened, right? Why I dropped out. I'm not the only one who didn't believe it. We get accusations like this all the time. Who needs brains? They never did a girl any good. I'm so sorry I didn't go with her. You gotta let it go. Promising Young Woman is directed by Emerald Fennell, a young British actress and director, and many of you might know her from The Crown, where she played Camilla Parker Bowles. But she also wrote a very good screenplay, directed a very good movie called Promising Young Woman, which earned five nominations for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress for Carrie Mulligan, Best Original Screenplay and Best Editing. And in the end, took the statue for Best Original Screenplay. It's a black comedy thriller. It's a very interesting hybrid of different genres. It uh, stars Carrie Mulligan as a woman who seeks revenge and tries to avenge the death of her best friend, who was a rape victim. So she's going on evening sprees in bars and clubs, pretends to be drunk, and men, um, of course, try to take advantage of her, try to take her home, and she's basically this sort of avenging angel who, who is on this sort of mission. It also stars Bo Burnham, Alison Brie and Jennifer Coolidge in a small role. It's a very surprising film and I think it's not surprising that the screenplay won an Oscar because it's very unusual, it's very original. It takes you to places where you don't think you would go and then it goes a step further. So it has a very dark side to it, very twisted, but at the same time it's super funny, super snappy, it has great dialogues. It has a, a really good pace to it, um, I don't want to spoil too much of the story. For me this movie was really a big big surprise, a great revelation, an excellent movie night and Carrie Mulligan gives also a magnificent performance which is very subdued but at the same time super intense so I think this is definitely a movie I would highly recommend. A well-deserved win for that screenplay it seems. Another favorite in this year's Oscar race was The Trial of the Chicago 7. 
We want to underscore again that we're coming to Chicago peacefully, but whether we're given permits or not, we're coming. We're going to Chicago to protest the Vietnam War. And there's no place to be right now but in it. We watched for a decade while these rebels without a job tell us how to prosecute a war. Well, they're going to spend their 30s in a federal facility, real time. People say, you know, Abby, are you concerned about an overreaction from the cops? Holy shit. You all right? It was Abby, until I saw that. Are the people ready to make opening arguments? At the defense table. Abby Hoffman, Jerry Rubin, Dave Dellinger, Rennie Davis, Lee Weiner, John Freund, Tom Hayden, and Bobby Seale. These defendants had a plan, and the plan was to incite a riot. I call this portion of the trial with friends like these. <laughs> trial of the Chicago 7 by director Aaron Sorkin and screenwriter as well. That was nominated for six Oscars, Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor for Sasha Baron Cohen, Original Screenplay for Aaron Sorkin, Cinematography, Editing and Best Original Song and didn't win any Oscars. So the question of course is, didn't it deserve any Oscars or did it undeservedly so not win any awards. What did you think of Trial of the Chicago 7? Maybe just to say uh, a movie showing us the events surrounding the 1968 Democratic Convention in Chicago and protests that built up around this convention and then also escalated with a confrontation with between protesters and police. And the movie shows us the court case against these protest organizers. For me, this was the typical Oscar bait movie who really tries to tick as many boxes to please the, the jury of the Oscars. I, I think it's an enjoyable film. I think the actors in it are great. There is um, Sacha Baron Cohen, of course, Eddie Redmayne, Mark Rylands, Frank Langella. I think the ensemble is really great. The dialogue is great, of course, being an Aaron Sorkin movie and the pacing is also good. I, I just think somehow it's not a very memorable movie in that sense. I don't think five years from now we will be talking about this movie. I think it doesn't leave that much of a lasting impression. In its agenda, it also seems to be a little bit preaching to the choir, as it's not really groundbreaking in what he's trying to say. So I think it's, it's an agreeable movie. It has good performances in it. You learn something about history, if you like. But at the same time, I think it's also not something that drives you with passion. You would recommend it to someone else. Well, it's interesting that you say, you know, you learn something about history because that's what I felt was, was missing from that movie. I was really interested in the context, having read a lot about the late 60s and this, you know, important year 1968. And I thought that was a great context to set that movie. And then it just ended up being a very American courtroom story again, which is the favorite go-to place for any American story where you want to talk about justice, about the constitution, about right and wrong, about the confrontation between those two different worldviews. And I guess it was also topical with regard to protest movements today. That was quite interesting. But I really felt that it didn't give me anything. And a good friend of mine who also saw it summed it up perfectly. He said the problem with that screenplay is that none of the character changes. They are the way they are. They come to the courtroom, they stay the way you are and they leave. And I, I thought about this and, and maybe that's the problem with what you said about it not being memorable. There's nothing really happening in that film besides the 
recounting of those protests, the, the period hair and clothes. It's, it's well done. It's really well acted. I love seeing Langella as the judge and Mark Rylance is great. Uh, Eddie Redmayne is good. There are a lot of good performances, including Baron Cohen, but there's not much that I will take away from seeing Trial of the Chicago 7, considering it was a movie and a context that I was super interested in to begin with. Yeah, it leaves you unimpressed in a way. And I think that this movie was nominated for so many Oscars and in the end went home with nothing. I don't want to say it's deserved, but I think it is. <laughs> Because it's, yeah, it's why should anyone watch this in 10 years again? But maybe we want to talk about Mank as well. Mank? It's Orson Welles. Of course it is. I think it's time we talk. What is it the writer says? Tell the story you know. Hello, everyone. Make yourself to home, Mr. Mankowitz, or shall I call you Herman? Please, call me Mank. 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 This is Herman Mankowitz, but we're to call him Mank. Mankowitz. Herman Mankiewicz, New York playwright and drama critic, turned humble screenwriter, Mr. Hearst. This is a business where the buyer gets nothing for his money but a memory. What he bought still belongs to the man who sold it. That's the real magic of the movies. Thunder, lightning, blood, fire, religion. Help! Someone save me! All in one film. That's director proof. That's why I always want Mank around. The movie with the most nominations for Best Picture, for Best Director, David Fincher, of course, Best Actor, uh, Gary Oldman, Best Supporting Actress, Amanda Seyfried, Best Cinematography, Best Production Design, Best Costume Design, Best Original Score, Best Sound and Best Makeup and Hairstyling. From all these 10 nominations, eventually the movie went home with two, Best Cinematography and the Best Production Design. And Mank tells the story of the genesis of one of the most famous movies in history that we also talked about in an earlier episode at length, Citizen Kane and its screenwriter, played by Gary Oldman. And the politics of this early 1940s era Hollywood. There are, there's a lot of name dropping and the movie tries to imitate in a way the narrative techniques Citizen Kane uses. So it goes a little bit back and forth in time, so to speak. And it, it really follows Mank, how he tries to make this script for this young Orson Welles happening. I'm curious to know what you thought of this movie. I know we talked about it uh, already before a bit, but um, give us your take, Sam. Well, similarly to Trial of the Chicago 7, I was really interested in seeing a movie set in that context and quite liking Citizen Kane. I was definitely game to see what they had done. I was a little bit skeptical because David Fincher often leaves me a little bit cold. His movies are always perfectly made, but they emotionally don't get me anywhere often unless they're like shocking, like Seven, or really interesting in terms of context, like Zodiac. Otherwise, I'm not a big Fincher follower, I'd have to say. So I was not surprised to see that Mank left me completely <laughs> unmoved and relatively uninterested. Mm. I was not mesmerized. I was on my phone for most of the, the film, just looking up the names that were dropped because I was interested. I was confused by the fact that much of the film didn't actually focus on Citizen Kane itself and really it 
developing. It was really just focusing on this man in pretty bad shape, played admirably by Gary Oldman. He's he's always solid to good, I find. I marveled at some of the supporting performances, especially Charles Dance as publisher tycoon Randolph Hearst. Otherwise, I would say, deservedly so, it won the Oscar for Best Cinematography. It's stunningly black and white. It, it captures the the detail and the breadth of that era, the glamour, it's really a throwback to, to that aesthetic of the time. And otherwise, I'd have to say, don't remember much of what was actually happening to Mankiewicz. I remember him being kind of in an English patient situation with like nurses in a house for most of the film. And I was confused by the fact they were talking for so long about someone called Upton Sinclair, who was an important political figure at the time. And I thought, well, is this movie really about that guy or about the guy who wrote Citizen Kane like give me something and then Orson Welles was in a movie which was in a way great but he also didn't play a very big role just kind of like a ghost from the outside no not memorable certainly well made but definitely not a movie I would have given any best movie or best director Oscar to. To me, Mank was a huge, huge disappointment because unlike you, I'm a big Fincher fan. So I usually like his movies. I like what he does. And as you, I think I was also very interested and invested in the period it's playing. Reading a lot about MGM at the times, about Louis B. Mayer, Irving Thalberg, so these producers and studio owners. The period it, the movie set is absolutely down my alley. And I also loved all his name dropping. And I think it really harks back also a little bit to our earliest episode about Hollywood, you know, with all this style and glamour and you have these actresses rushing in and out. But as you said, the movie gives you nothing. It's not memorable, boring, borderline. The main character, Mank, you don't really follow him. You don't really know what is he doing? Where is his journey going? What are his struggles? So there are a lot of these bit players and scenes and vignettes in a way. You get glimpses of this Hollywood world, but it doesn't really add up to something cohesive in the end. It's not really a climax in the end. It's not really something that has he has learned, that he has changed, that you as an audience have learned or changed. And I was really surprised how uninvested I was in all this universe of old Hollywood, which would usually be exactly my kind of thing. And despite being the actor solid, I think Gary Oldman was somehow miscast in the sense that he was too old to play the actual Mankiewicz at that time. Amanda Seyfried was pretty and he she looked the part of Marion Davies, so they, they're also playing real characters, real people. But also she didn't really give me the fire <laughs> that I was expecting or, or the flesh that I was expecting. So everything was very anemic in a way. Yeah, everything feels very flat and I was super disappointed in this movie. I mean, if, if we don't like it, who else would? And the word that comes to mind is dour. I was sitting there and I thought this was a dour fair. I had to get through it to finish it. And you said about the, the missing fire and I thought whenever there was a sparkle, let's say if Charles Dance and Gary Oldman had a little bit of a discussion over dinner when man came there drunk, there was a moment where I thought, wow, now there's a great fight that they're going to have. Didn't happen, it ended after a couple of minutes. And the other time it was when, when the Orson Welles actor appeared and they had really a great Orson Welles-like voice, which is so essential if you know his career. And again, they, they left it at just 
like a few moments. You know, it reminded me a little bit of other Fincher movies in a sense of that I also thought sometimes they were very dry, but this time I think with a subject matter that, that didn't allow a dry treatment necessarily. You wanted to, you, you needed more meat on the bone. You couldn't just show like documentary style, a random assembly of scenes like you could in Zodiac, for instance, where that worked perfectly. Like this just left you cold. But I was wondering, isn't it all coming down to writing? I felt that a lot of the movies we were discussing now and kind of not very enthusiastic about had a weak screenplay, a weak journey of the main characters in a way. And you mentioned a promising young woman, which seems to have a strong screenplay in that sense. So do we maybe want to talk a little bit about what makes a, a good movie journey and why that makes a better movie than, for instance, showcases of actors, actresses, and yeah, just uninteresting treatments of characters. If we really look at the four movies we discussed just now, in Promising Young Woman, you have a character that is presented to you in one way. So you realize, okay, she's, she's going out seemingly drunk in these bars. She's hooking up with men who try to take advantage of her. And then she flips it in the moment where they want to do something to her. And she terrifies them and, and, and gives like a moral speech. So if you read what the movie is actually about or what it, what it is, it seems weird, but it works in the context of the story. And this is how you get Carrie Mulligan's character presented initially. But then the you get to know more about the character, about the motivation, why she does this, why she does that. And then you think, okay, it's about she's trying to avenge her, her friend who died. And, and um, sure, now, and now she's doing this and now she's doing that, but it goes in a different direction. So there are elements of surprise in it, which keeps you as a viewer interested and it keeps you invested in the character and in the storyline. And I think this is what lacks in Mank as well as in Trial of the Chicago 7. You're not interested how Mank will get to his script or you're not interested, will they get out of this courtroom alive or not? Somehow you're, you don't care about the characters because they don't interest you. And I think it really boils down to, to a good script. Moraine's Black Bottom, you have at least two very, very interesting characters. And their journeys might be a little bit small scale. That might be the problem of the movie. It's mm -hmm. a little bit too intimate and it happens only within a day, a few hours in a way. So that might not give you enough in terms of an emotional journey, I felt. But then if you look at uh, the other nominees and, and winners, especially Nomadland, which is literally about a journey, about these nomadic living people in, in trailers, and they go from place to place in the US, kind of a new sense of, of society and Francis McDormand being really the focus of that story, it seems. And even though I haven't seen the film, it seems to be an ultimate journey. And I think Minari is also about a, an immigration journey and about a Korean family settling in the US. And I think that lends itself much more nicely to a telling of a family's journey or of a literal journey. And I think that tends to make better screenplays. I think those are at least two examples or three examples where that I think work better. I was also thinking of The Father, another intimate journey into dementia that Anthony Hopkins seems to play so admirably well that I think that can also work, kind of a, a fall from grace or a development that is maybe related as in this case with health issues. The preconditions seem to be better for those kind of movies. And I think with Mang and Trial to Chicago 7, that is much more 
complex to achieve but it's it's doable those two movies in my opinion just didn't do it properly i mean you can have a movie with two people sitting in a room and discussing who goes to the supermarket if there is a conflict if there is something happening with the characters i think it's interesting what you said about these journeys and it's definitely something that movies need to have somehow on a larger or on a smaller scale but i think if the script doesn't make you invested in this journey whatever the journey is you don't care about the film that's the magic when it happens when it works when you're really sitting there and you're saying okay wow this movie took me now on a journey visually content wise acting wise that not only the characters in the movie are transformed and went on a journey but also you as a viewer and i think when this happens we have the movie magic and we have what great movies are made of and we have what we've now been discussing like oscar worthy movies so i think i'm very curious to see what comes next are there any that, that are now on the top of your list that you really want to see yeah there's a, there's a couple there's a handful i i was most interested in seeing judas and the black messiah again for the historical context and from the reviews I read, maybe I will be disappointed again. <laughs> After talking to you, I definitely want to see Promising Young Woman. That seems to be a fascinating and new and surprising type of movie. I was also interested in seeing one of the Best Foreign Picture nominees, Quo Vadis Aida, which talks about the uh, Srebrenica massacre in 1995, the Bosnian War, which seems to be absolutely riveting. And of course, Minari and Nomadland, after seeing snippets and after Nomadland's big wins, I will want to see it and see if, if it's really well-deserved. How about you? What will be the, the first ones that come out that you are going to see of these? The one that I immediately want to see now is actually the winner of the Foreign um, Movie Award for Denmark, Thomas Winterberg and Another Round, which is a movie about a group of teachers who are a little bit down, not motivated. They're, they're, they only really have a zest in their life anymore. And they decide to follow a certain theory that you need to have 0.5 promille of alcohol in your blood to be fully functioning. So they always try to maintain his level they're always trying to drink and i think it's with Mats Mikkelsen which is always a joy to watch so it seems to be a very funny but also sad movie so I'm curious to see this one and of course the winners Nomadland, Minari which seems to be a very touching story and also The Father which I think seems to be a very interesting chamber play between Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Colman and it's always fun to see two great actors working together so I'm curious to see that one for sure. So I would say now that the cinemas appear to be back open for now, lots to see and lots to discuss afterwards. So that might give us something to talk next time. Exactly. So thanks everyone for listening and I hope you enjoyed this episode of Ready for Close-Up. Thanks Sam for this interesting talk. Always a pleasure. And uh, I would say see you next time when we're again ready for close-up. Come on,
Let's see it. Let me see you do the butt. Let's see it. 